Uh, <laughs> there's a there's a lot more where that came from. You just wait. Just wait over the next few weeks. <clears throat> well, I wanted to make sure that everybody saw the Christmas times that we just showed. So Christmas Eve, our services are 10, 12, 2, and 4. So 10, 12, 2, and 4. Uh, I'll just tell you, historically on Christmas, we're, we're packed out and usually have overflow. And so I'm not going to tell you what service to come to. Uh, come to whatever one you want. But I just make sure you get here early so that you have a good seat, especially if you're bringing in a lot of family members. So 10, 12, 2, and 4, it's going to be great. We have an a, a excellent uh, service and production planned, but we need your help with something. See, it's been a dream of mine for a long time to have a choir on Christmas Eve. And so we're going to have a choir this year, but we need some, some participants in that, okay? So you can sign up to be a part of our Christmas Eve choir uh, if you text choir to 77453. And listen, you don't even really have to sing that well, honestly. Uh, I mean, if you're going to make some kids cry, don't maybe don't sign up. Or if your spouse tells you that's not for you, I get that. Then don't. But if you can somewhat carry a tune and you just enjoy singing, uh, then th that's the place for you for sure. <laughs> so uh, make that happen for me, please. I've always wanted to have one. I think it'll be a lot of fun. All right, let me, uh, let me begin by reading this classic uh, passage. It's Isaiah 7, verse 14. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel, of course, means that God is with us. And so as we begin this Christmas series in this Christmas season and we celebrate with family and friends and here at Cross Timbers, like we don't forget the reason for the season that our amazing, wonderful God stepped off of the throne from heaven to be born in a manger so that he could be with you and with me. He could be with us, Emmanuel, and that he would live a perfect life, a perfect example, and then die on the cross for our sins and raise from the grave three days later, forever beating death and forever sealing a place for us to be with him for eternity. So we, we remember that as we kick off this Christmas series, right? So Lord, we thank you for your presence and just ask that you make yourself known here and you receive the glory in Jesus' name. There was a uh, young man who was interviewing at a company and uh, the interviewers were looking at his resume and looking at him and looking at his resume and they said, there's a four-year gap on your resume, what, what's up with the gap? And he said, well, that was, uh, that was the time I spent at Yale. And I said, interesting and very impressed. I said, well, what, what are you hoping to get out of that experience? He said, well, to be honest, I was just hoping to land this job. <laughs> he was in jail. I cracked myself up. I thought it was funny. <laughs> the words, you know, 
the words that we use are really, really important. And certain words trigger certain emotions in us. We associate words with feelings. So I might say the word father. And for some of you, that, that triggers something good in you. For some of you, it, it triggers something bad. And you have a negative emotion tied to the word father. Uh, holidays, you know, some of you get really excited. But, you know, not all of you do. Some of you, there's a negative emotion you experience around this time of year. We associate words or phrases with emotions. When my kids yell from the other room, Dad, something happened. You know, I know that there's marker on the couch or Play-Doh on the floor or a cabinet ripped out of the drywall, whatever it is. When, when my wife says, Josiah, and she doesn't say Joe or babe or honey, then I know I'm in trouble, right? If she uses my full first name. Uh, if my three-year-old yells from the bathroom, I'm done. There's a disgust that happens inside of me because I know I got to go wipe a dirty bum bum. Right? And so we associate certain words with, with certain emotions and feelings, and the same as during this Christmas time. I mean, Santa Claus and lights and trees and, and stockings. But there's three words that you'll see everywhere. Uh, you'll see it on the streets. You'll see it on throw pillows. You'll see it in Hobby Lobby. God forbid you have to go there. It's my living hell is Hobby Lobby. I hate, I hate that place. Uh, you'll see it everywhere, though, and it's the words hope joy, and peace. And it's kind of funny because there's not like a Bible verse or anything that goes back and says, these are the official words for December. The closest we get is Romans 15, 13 that says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of his Holy Spirit. And so as followers of Jesus, those three words, hope and joy and peace, they're an important part of this season. And so we're going to take the next three weeks and we're going to break down each one of those words. And today is about hope. Everybody say hope. Turn to the person next to you and say, you have hope. If you could act like you want to be here for like just five seconds, that'd be great. Okay. Turn to the person you ignored the first time. <laughs> say it with some conviction and say, you have hope. You have hope. And you know, it's really important that we as believers spend time thinking about the fact that we have hope because not everybody can say that. But you can. You have hope. Let me just go on a little tangent here for a second. I think that we spend a lot of time, more time than we should, thinking about the things we do not have more than we think about the things we do have. Can I get a witness? I know I do. 
I spend a lot more time thinking about the shoes I don't have or the clothes or the car or the yard or the house or the money or the gifts or the talents that I do not have than I do spending time thinking about what I do have. And when we do that, we create neural pathways in our brain. This is science, y'all. I'm not making this crap up. We create neural pathways that force us to, by default, it trains our brain and consequently our heart, heart to, by default, only focus on what we don't have. And really, I mean, it's, called a, it's like called a spirit of poverty where you spend more time thinking about where you're lacking where no matter what kind of lifestyle you're living, deep down in your soul, you believe with all your heart, I do not have enough. And that spirit of poverty affects every area of your life, and it'll cause you to have more anxiety and more depression and more stress and just a deficiency in joy. And it's a sad way to live, honestly. And I'm telling you right now, like, it's something we need to change. We got to take those thoughts captive, stop them in their tracks, and replace them with an attitude of gratitude, thinking about what we do have. Because when you make a strong effort to spend more time focusing on what you do have, it opens up a door to a plethora of positive impacts, which is probably another sermon for another time. I mean, just think about with me for a second, like, what if we didn't doom scroll Amazon and, and just drool over everything we don't have, but we took some time to recognize, like, do you, do you know that, like, if you're sitting in this room, you're, you're wealthier than 99% of the world's population. Probably about half of you, because we're in Argyle, Texas, are wealthier than about 99% of the U.S. If you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you're more blessed than a million people who will not survive this week. Congratulations, you probably won't die this week. That's better than a million people in this world. Uh, if you've never experienced the danger of battle, the loneliness of imprisonment, the agony of torture, or the pangs of starvation, you're ahead of 500 million people in this world. If you can attend church without fearing for your lives, being harassed, being persecuted, that's better than 3 billion people in this world. If you have food in your refrigerator or clothes on your back. Everybody got clothes on? <laughs> Looks like it. You're wealthier than 75% of people in this world. If you have spare change in a dish at home, you're better off than 92% of this world. We got to learn to count our blessings and focus on what we do have more so than what we don't have. And you know, one of the areas of our faith 
that the writers of the Bible were constantly hammering was that you have something that not everybody has, and that is hope. You have hope. Not everybody can say that. There's a lot of hopelessness in this world. There's a lot of despair, a lot of discouragement. But if you are a follower of Jesus, then you can confidently say you have hope. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So you don't just have a hope, but you have a living hope, an active hope, a hope that is constantly at work, or probably my favorite way to describe it is found in the book of Hebrews when it says that you have a hope that is like an anchor to your soul. I love that picture because an anchor doesn't promise you won't experience the current or the storms or a strong wind. An anchor just promises that you are tied to something much bigger and much stronger than yourself. And because of its weight, because of its depth, because of its position, it is unaffected by the waves that crash into you. So what is this hope, right? Like what are we putting our hope in? Is it, are, you, are you hoping that your day goes well? Or you, you know, you're hoping you get a job? Is our hope that you might be healthy or whatever it is, you hope that things are going to turn out the way that you want them to. None of those are bad things. I believe God is with you and working for you to have a, a future uh, and, and a hope and good things in your life. But listen to me, it's so much bigger than that. It's so much bigger. When the Apostle Paul in Christ are talking about the hope that we have, he's talking about something so much bigger. So how does that work in our everyday life? Listen, here's the hope that you and I have. This might be kind of disappointing for some of you that I say it this way, but we have a hope that one day Christ will return. That's our hope. Our hope is in the truth that one day Christ will return. Now listen, I know that that doesn't help you with your daily struggles. It doesn't pay your bills. It doesn't heal your marriage. But the reason that we can have confidence and keep going in life and never give up is because one day Jesus is going to come back and he's gonna make all things new. And there will not be any more suffering or any more sickness, or depression, or pain, or tears, or heartache, because he will return and restore what is rightfully his, creating once again a perfect relationship with himself. So Christ will make all things new. That is what our hope is in. See, I'll read you a passage out of Revelations. It says this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. 
I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for, for the old order of things has passed. He who has seated on the right thr- on the throne of God said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write these down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He is making all things new. He's in the process of resurrection. He's in the process of creating new life. And we can have hope in that. Not everybody can say that. Not everybody has that hope of the future, but we do. And I'm so sorry if you've experienced trauma in life, but one day he will make all things new. And I'm so sorry if today is a struggle for you, but we can have hope in the return of Christ because one day he will make all things new. And like I said, I know, that, I know that's not like really comforting for today. That doesn't take away your problems. But what it does mean is that God really is who he says he is. We can trust his word and he's got a plan. Like some of you really love a plan. You can't function without a plan. And I'm telling you, in the middle of discomfort, in the middle of chaos, in the middle of the unknowing, we serve a God that's got a plan. And we can put our trust in his sovereignty because he knows what he's doing. Uh, 1 Peter 1.13, this is important because look at what 1 Peter says. He says, I'm going to read you two verses actually. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Alert and fully sober. Matthew 24 says, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would have not let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So there's like this alertness, this readiness that we're supposed to have with the coming of Christ. Like the, the Bible says over and over and over again, we're to be on guard. And I love asking myself the question that that maybe you can ask yourself this morning. If I knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, how would I live my life differently today? It's a great question to ask yourself. In fact, maybe if you're feeling kind of lost in life, you don't really know how to spend your hours, that's a great exercise. Like maybe write down some things of how you would live your life differently today if you knew that Christ was coming back 
tomorrow? And I hope the answer for a lot of us is I wouldn't change anything. I'm already living the way that I should live. And so what does life look like now on Sunday, December 3rd, knowing and anticipating that Christ will come back again? And in other words, let me say it this way. What do we do in the meantime? What a fascinating question. But Jesus talks a lot about it. The Bible talks a lot about it. I don't, I don't spend a lot of time talking about the second coming of Christ or end times or, or whatever, the apocalypse, whatever you want to call it. Not because I don't think it's important. Obviously, there, I do think it's important, and I have a little bit of a passion behind it. It's just that Jesus didn't spend most of his time talking about the end times. He spent most of his time talking about what do we do in the meantime? What do we do today? How are we supposed to live tomorrow? So there's an alertness that we have, a readiness. We're living our lives on guard, kind of like when, I'm, when my kids are playing outside and I'm watching a football game like yesterday, you know, watched some good football yesterday. The kids are outside, keep the back door open. I got one eye and ear on the football game kind of one eye and ear on the, the screams that are happening outside. Make sure it's not like an injured scream. You know that scream. So I got to keep one eye here and one eye there, and that's, that's really what the Bible tells us to do. You keep one eye on the coming of Christ, and then you keep one eye on the task at hand. And so what do we do in the meantime? What, do, what is the task at hand? Well, Second Peter answers that question really clearly. He says this, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by a fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? It's pretty clear right there. What do you do in the meantime? How do you live your lives today? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and the speed is coming. I mean, that's about as obvious as it gets, right? Jesus is coming back. He's going to make all things new. So what kind of people ought you should be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. The word holy in Greek means to be sanctified or separated unto God or be different or distinct. We're to be different, separated for God's purpose. I love that word different. Listen, not weird, not odd, not off-putting, but different. See, see, weird distracts people from Jesus. Different attracts people to Jesus. We're to be, if we're going to call ourselves Christians and believers, followers of Jesus, and we're going to celebrate 
this season of the holidays and celebrate Emmanuel because we have a hope that he is one day going to return and restore our souls and make all things new and make your marriage new and your body new and your spirit new, then you better be a little bit different. You better approach life a little bit differently than everybody else. So if the world is divided, then as believers, we should be united. If the world sees people groups, then we as Christians see that everybody is made in the image of God. If the world is bitter, then Christians should be forgiving. If the world is pursuing lust, then Christians should be pursuing their marriage. If the world is angry, then Christians should be loving and accepting. How are you gonna do it differently? I'm almost done here, but listen, it's like, this is so important. I talked about this a couple weeks ago, so I won't rehash it out, but there's a parable that Jesus tells about the second coming of, of, of himself, and he talks about it like that there's a master that went on a journey, and while he was gone on the journey, he gave his workers some talents, some bags of gold, and he told them, do, do with it as you will, and some of them went and invested it, and one of them went and buried it, and he came back, and he was frustrated with the one that buried it, but he celebrated the ones that actually did something with it, and it's like that God has given you this gift, this gift of life, this bag of gold, and he's asking you, are you gonna invest it? Are you gonna live holy? Are you gonna live godly lives? Are you gonna be different than the world? Because when I come back, I'm gonna hold you accountable to, for what you did with your life here on earth. And if you use it wisely, then he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. There's a life to be lived in eternity with Christ. The life that we live here on earth, it's about this much of the stage. The life of eternity is everything else up here. And how you choose to live your life here on earth determines how you live your life in eternity. And he wants to know, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to use the gifts that I've given you? And so this, this, this holiday season is so important for us and worthy of celebration. Because you can't have a second coming without a first coming. And we believe that Christ came down off of his throne was born in a manger as a baby and lived his life here on earth, which was his first appearance. So we celebrate that and we honor that and we get excited about that because it's one step closer to the promise and hope that one day he will return and he will make all things new. Let me read for you. Chase talked about it a little bit during giving. He said, therefore God exalted him to the highest place 
and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So I just want to encourage you today, man, like, like whatever is in your soul, whatever is in your life that is not holy or pleasing to the Lord, set it aside. And go be different until Christ returns. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. And thank you that you've called us to a life that is pleasing to you, a life that is sacrificial and transformational. And God, I just pray that you would give us the courage uh, to be different, not weird, but different so that we can attract people to the name of Jesus, attract people to your local church where we talk about the hope that we have in you. And God, we leave here on alert, ready for you to come, but not neglecting the task that you have placed before us. So Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.